Sundays, fresh off the journey to Canaan, we are glad that you're with us today. You didn't choose Between Sundays because we're special. Between Sundays is special because you chose us. Today, we are revisiting Abraham, called out by God to be blessed. Barry spoke last weekend, and we are talking calling today. But before we do that, let's see how those favorite co-hosts are doing. Barry and Marin, good day. Good Good day. day. How are you guys doing? I'm Good. I'm yeah, really good. A little cold outside. Yeah. We, yeah. we brave the elements. We're here on all of our days off. <laughs> Martin Luther King Day. <laughs> I was sliding around the uh, the parking lot. parking lot like crazy. Yes. Donuts? Did, so when I was a kid, my dad would like take us out and do donuts on purpose. Did you guys grow up that way? Like, As in come on, to like kids. learn skills or just, just to have for fun? fun. Like, oh, like Chicago Drift. Ride. Yeah. Yeah. Have, Did you guys do no, that? No, we didn't do that. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I learned to drive in, my van in the Grace Church parking lot. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> we, I, my parents would take me to drive, like Aww. learn to drive here. And there's like probably not up to code, but there's not like enough lights or something in the parking lot. So we could just oh, do donuts all day. That's pretty cool. In the parking lot. So when it would snow, my friends and I in high school would just come here and just like go nuts. We're not advocating for that on the podcast though, are we? I mean... As long as it's in the far back lot, like whatever. Come one, come so this all. this past summer, I was I was up. I, I think I was out. I had to do a phone call like a, for work or something. So I went. It was nice out. So I walked all the way up to the north lot, and I was walking through the little wildflowers out there. It's really beautiful. Wait, when one, was this? In the summer. Okay. In the summer. I have like, not seen this. People have described this. Yeah, to me there's like little paths back there, and it. Yeah, Project Eden. And so anyway, I was just up there on the phone call, and then I was sitting under this little gazebo that they built out there, looking out at the building and the parking lot. And as I'm on the phone watching uh, this <laughs> truck full of teenage boys pulls up and they get out and there's a like a hot wheel. No, like a, what are those little plastic three wheelers that you have? Just a three wheeler? Three wheelers, is that what they're yeah. called? Okay. They get out, one of them sits on it. They tie a rope to the back of the truck yes. and start driving <laughs> themselves around <laughs> while filming everything. Yes, hijinks. And immediately I'm like, that's awesome. And also, I probably have to go tell them not to do this because oh. I'm an adult and I would be liable no, for be having great. known it. And Grace Church would have to pay the medical bills. Nah. Mm. Well, would we? I don't know. Probably. I, I called Noah, who is who is our, our <laughs> in senior of director of facilities, and he agreed. It's we should probably kick him out. So I went over there and I was I, I have never felt like such a boring yeah. grown up than in that moment. That's pretty awesome idea. You've made it. You've arrived. Here I am. And then I started sprouting. Like white hairs in my beard, and it's all started right yeah. then. Man, I have one gray hair on the top of my head, and I'm very proud of it. I love it. You love it? My Did you mom, name it? My mom went to snatch it off, like force a habit one time. She, and I'm like, stop! Don't touch it. I want that there. I want more Digging of that. You want right. more? I'm excited, Mary? Yes. I don't know. Straight what, up. Why? Because it's real. Have you ever seen like gray curly hair? It's gonna be awesome. Well, I yeah. can't wait. Stoked, man! Bring it on! I saw my second gray hair yesterday on my head. <laughs> How did you feel about that? Uh, I tried to pull it out, but you know what? Those things, I can't do it. I, I, like it's too tough or something. It won't come out. I tried pulling it, yeah. but I was grabbing like twenty hairs. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta use, you gotta use like tweezers or I something. Know. I didn't. I just. Or you I just gotta know. give up. So I left it up. Gray I left hair, it on there. Gray hair is where it's at. Yeah. It's awesome. I guess. Yeah. Distinguished. I'm so excited. Jen well, is going to look like Paul Newman. I know it. Silver Fox. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, what's new? What's happening? What's happening in your lives? 
Marin just celebrated Christmas. Oh, good. January 15th. I did. I did. <laughs> I went to Chicago this weekend. I don't know if everybody knew that, but. For a much delayed Christmas? For Christmas. It was Christmas time. And this time. I wised up. So Thanksgiving, I brought three pies. We discussed this at our Thanksgiving episode. But I came home with like way too many leftovers. My parents are on some wacky diet and they don't even allow themselves like one day of like glorious eating. Uh They're not even allowed to look at the pie. For real. Why did I even make it? Oh, so you made more pie. No, I told my family that I've retired from sweets. And this time I made. A single bean. (laughs) I made, of all things, Brussels sprouts. And oh, sweet potatoes. Oh, that sounds really good. And though. of like the mighty spread that we had, the first thing to go was the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, yeah. Brussels sprouts are making that. an awesome comeback. Yeah, this anyway. is the year of the Brussels sprouts. Well, I mean, I'm calling like, it right now. I grew up <laughs> 2018. 2018. Year of the sprout. <laughs> I grew up like fearing Brussels sprouts. You know? Okay, hold up. Is it Brussels sprouts or Brussels sprouts? Because the city is called Brussels. I don't know. And I've never actually Brussels taken the time to look it up. Sprouts. I'm sure um, someone behind you is willing to Google that. Our producer Emily is looking it up right now. So is let's should we should we wager to guess? I think it's Brussels. Sprouts. No way! It's Brussels. <laughs> I think it's Brussels. It's two v one. I let's. What's the answer? Emily, you got to get on mic. <laughs> Come on over here, Emily. <laughs> This is my big debut. Oh, here yes. she is. Yes, make room. Welcome. Guys, Hi, welcome everyone. Emily O'Connor. Woo! I'm going to share with you info about vegetables. It is Brussels sprouts. Oh, hey. That is too In confusing. In your face, well, Tyler. <laughs> guys, who says Brussels? Nobody says Brussels. Well, you kind of do because it runs together. It's like Brussels sprout. Brussels sprout. Yeah. Brussels So it doesn't really matter. Sprout. It is. It, the name originated because of Brussels, Belgium. See, mm-hmm. yeah. see, yeah. So People that's where the sprouts are from. <laughs> that's where they were invented. <laughs> I can go more into the etymology, but um, I'm gonna work good, Emily. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Cutter Mike. <laughs> so Brussels sprouts. Anyways, I mean, nobody wanted Brussels sprouts when they were growing up, right? I was physically nauseated by them yeah. when I was a but child. But now it's like the first thing to go at Marin's mm-hmm. January Christmas. Yes, first thing to go. But we roast them, so I don't know how you had them growing up. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. Raw? Like, they're like, like I think they're raw? Is that... <laughs> no, so I think a lot of people grew up having them boiled, which is like, why oh, would you gross. do that? Yeah. That sounds like the worst thing ever. It smells yeah. terrible. So we roast them, and then they get all like crisp and nutty yeah. and brown, and then I just cloak it in Make Parmesan it cheese, so why Ooh. not? Year of, year of the Brussels. Year of the Brussels. Sprout. Yeah, so Christmas, the celebration that just How keeps on giving. It was great. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, it was good to this see everybody. This is like everybody. four weeks in a row for you for going to Chicago oh, geez, to do something. Well, no, it feels that way, but it wasn't quite four weeks in a row. It was definitely two weeks in a row. Um, but yeah, it was good. We're, we were just blessed to have good, you know, traveling weather there and back and all that stuff. Then I got to see my best friend uh, from second grade, best friend since second grade, had a baby and mm. uh, got to Wait, snuggle, your friend snuggle had a baby on or... the baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Super cool. Grace. Yeah. Barry, what's, what's happening in your life? I don't know. I preached again and it just kind of consumes your whole weekend and yeah. for me, most of the week because I'm having to get things written and put together and my mm-hmm. schedule is super crazy these days. So yeah, yeah, I don't even know what day it is or what my name is or how I All got right. here. Well, it's Monday. 
Okay, good to know. Monday? I have a picture of my whole family, my mom and dad, me and Jed, in our jammies, streaming the service. Oh, seriously? From my parents' house. We all watched it together. It was great. I was a bachelor this weekend, guys. Yes, you were. My wife took our baby to Atlanta to visit friends. And so from Thursday to Monday, it's just me. And I got to tell you, like, that used to be something that I would be like, sweet, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to hang out and watch sports or I'm going to watch all these movies or whatever. No, man, it it was bad. By the second day, I found myself in a McDonald's ordering food that I haven't. I've not been to a McDonald's since before <laughs> I was married. I was... I hadn't showered in a McDonald's ordering food. <laughs> Wait, sh- you haven't you showered, showered in, in a McDonald's? McDonald's? No, I hadn't showered that day. Comma. Comma. In a McDonald's. Yeah. Okay. In a McDonald's ordering food for myself. I ate it. Then I went to the game store, bought a board game, no one to play with. So I was playing board games this weekend by myself. I didn't know you were by yourself. Those photos that you posted made it look like you were well, with a group I of people. I thought you were like having a big like bachelor party weekend playing well, that game. You there were was alone? one. There was one time I did play with other people, but the rest of the weekend it's just me hanging out with the dogs at the house, playing board games by myself. <laughs> it's really sad. I know. That's what I'm saying. I miss my family. It's good to miss your family. Gosh, got to be more creative with how you spend your alone well, time. Well, as I said last week, we're on the cash budget, man. I can't spend any of this money in you my envelopes. You already cash? have an Xbox. Why didn't we play video games I don't together? Know. We should have. <laughs> could have called on any number of your friends well, and they would have been there for so you. So I'm using now this podcast to reach out to <laughs> Between Sundays Nation call for and the Pod Pals <laughs> and call on anybody who likes nerdy, weird board games. <laughs> I want to play with you. Please, 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 <laughs> please help me and play these games with me. Guys, Tyler's really in a, in a bad yeah, place. Bad if you place, could help man. him out, that is would be back? awesome. Is she Lauren back She yet? is not back yet. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to go get her tonight. Okay. Okay, but she so will be. So by the time back. this by the time this publishes, she'll right. be back. Yeah. Okay. Man, so that's what's new. Man. It's dark times in the Bender House. Dark times. Twenty eighteen. Yeah. Who knew worse. you have a baby and you just don't know what to do with yourself when he's not there? Did Weird. you ultimately shower at some point, or I showered today? Okay, but that was like four days in a row where it's just like none of the lights were on. <laughs> <laughs> you went to like the darkest corners yeah, of bachelorhood. I know. <laughs> Gosh. What, how do you like to spend your time when you have like an alone day, Barry? Like oh, he if, chooses if a, to play board games and I was not, not shower. I was not adequately what prepared. What would you do? It has to be full. It doesn't have to all be valuable full. So like I, I will play video games. I'll read fiction books or whatever. But I also I need to update my budget. I need to clean the kitchen. So you just stay busy. The whole See, day. I don't want to do that. Because if I don't, if I get just like, if I'm just like playing some dumb game on my phone or something, I Wombat withdraw. <laughs> well, no, the Xbox is where <laughs> the Wombat Slayer exists. But if I'm just yeah. like, or if I'm just like looking at Twitter or just being bored, then I, I like sink into this black hole of of just nothing. And I end up in the dark it's corner pretty much of what I did. just like okay. Tyler. Welcome. So I know how to head it off now after being single for such a long time. Okay. I did vacuum. Well, that's nice. I guess. Yeah. For, for no one. Vacuum for myself so I can spread out my board game pieces on the floor and <laughs> just play by myself. Oh, guys. So that's what's new. We're here, though, on Martin Luther King Day. We are. That's right. Grace Church, uh, for the last couple of years, has decided to take this day off. So the buildings are all closed, but we snuck in. And uh, yeah, 
Martin Luther King is a, is an important figure in all of our lives. And so I just want to take a couple minutes and talk about him, kind of what he means and to, to each of us. And, and really if he were alive today, or if he was, if today was, this is weird how to say it, but if today was 1963, but it's this version of America, what is Martin Luther King saying today? So let's yeah. talk about him. Mm. So I took uh, a few, well, I guess it was last year sometime, I took a, a class in seminary called The Theology and Ethics of Martin Luther King Jr. And although I learned in a seminary. lot- In seminary. In seminary. Cool. And although I learned a lot about you know the theology and ethics of the guy, I also learned more just about his biography and mm-hmm. the timeline of things. And uh, I, I admit that my knowledge of- what he actually did was super limited. It was mm. this very basic outline. I was like, I know he gave a speech and mm-hmm. there were some buses at some point. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, I did not know in depth. Like, I didn't know that the Montgomery bus boycott was a year long. I didn't, mm-hmm. like those kinds of things. It, so I, my respect for him grew and grew and grew and grew as I learned about his own story. And um, yeah, so I really, really respect him. Mm. Hmm. So it's weird. I think about him as like, this rebel and this extremist. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm 34 years old. I was not alive when he was alive, but just knowing what I know about him, I look at him as like somebody that the way I know America, like at the time and everything I've read says society really at large did not look kindly on this guy. He was a rebel. He went against the grain. Like he wasn't violent, but he was very dramatic and he was very like, let's push the rules and let's cause tension. And usually people that do that, especially um, because of injustice, like society doesn't really always look kindly on them. And so it's, it's always weird when this day comes around and we like, we look at him as like the saint and, and it's weird how history changes the, the perception of what we have on people after they die and like 40 years removed when really, when this guy was doing good stuff for the country, a lot of the country mm-hmm. hated him, right? And so it's it's always a weird day because everybody's putting quotes on social media, putting quotes online, mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's become he's become a beloved figure over history, but he was not beloved during his time, which is what made him great, ultimately, right? Yeah, yeah. nonviolent protests they didn't like what he was doing but you're right he wasn't violent so when you say rebel it's like that's got a a negative connotation and it kind of takes you to one place in your mind Mm -hmm. well he was a -hmm. rebel in a sense that he organized these protests and um was very outspoken um and in the in the eye of the public um i just we would not be where we were where we are today if it weren't for all the things that he set in motion and all the things that he did. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful every year that we mm-hmm. have this day on the calendar that yeah. we get to set aside and, and that even like TV shows, I don't know what you did on your big bachelor weekend, if you were watching mm-hmm. stuff, but you put something up where you tried to vindicate yourself with the word poignant, oh, right? Cause you still, yeah. you say we should it talk wrong. about this. Right. And the president said it wrong too. Okay. Go ahead. Context. Give, 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 set it up. <laughs> David Letterman. <laughs> Indiana hero, David Letterman, Indiana has a new show on Netflix. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to check this out. It's been a while since I've seen him. His first guest, Barack Obama. And at the very end, they're they're just joking around. And uh, sure enough, <laughs> I was about to hit the button to, to end my Netflix show. 
But right before that, Barack Obama says, let's walk this way, Dave. Because the camera guys, they want to create a poignant oh, no. moment. Mm-mm. That's how you Nails say it. Vindication! Redemption is <laughs> no, mine! No, it's and then not. Marin immediately posted uh, <laughs> a clip of what it sounds like on the dictionary app, and it's poignant. Uh, poignant. 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 So, yeah. Well, and then I watched that, not knowing that like that was the last scene. So my kids mm-hmm. and I gather around, and he, uh, so he interviews David Letterman, interviews John Lewis, and they walk across the bridge mm-hmm. together. So there's just a lot of programming on right now because of the weekend, because mm-hmm. of MLK, things having to do with MLK. And I watched two such, you know, documentary type mm-hmm. things on him over the weekend with my kids, which cool. I love to do. But to my surprise, there it was, the very Boy, last scene of that David Letterman <laughs> you know, show on Netflix, and it was the thing Guys. that you posted. <laughs> I think I'm in good company. Yeah. David Letterman stands by it. I stand by it. <laughs> so one of the things that, well, the two thoughts that are rolling around in my head about, about MLK that I think are relevant. One of them is the fact that you, you're talking about you know, the resistance that he put up against it was nonviolent, but it was always active nonviolence. It was active nonviolent resistance. So his whole philosophy was you uphold just laws, mm-hmm. and if there are unjust laws, you break them, and you have to be willing to pay whatever the consequence is because that's the only way that an mm-hmm. unjust law will be revealed for what it is, is to is for a, for a just person to pay unjust consequences. Mm-hmm. And so that was why, I mean— he and they they had a whole school of training with nonviolence where they would they would have in churches they would gather in churches and have young people come up and do uh, practice scenarios where someone would start screaming at them and push them and just to give them the the sense of how your body reacts and mm-hmm. just so they'd be prepared to be able to to be fully nonviolent because when doing doing that just like with Gandhi just like with Jesus I mean it, the nonviolence ends up having more power mm-hmm. um, so that's that's one thing the other thing I find really interesting is I didn't know this but um, Martin Luther King was actually very vehemently against the Vietnam War and he talked a lot about it and people on everybody, even his own supporters and people on his own board of directors and stuff Mm -hmm. for his organization were like, just stop talking about that. And he says, no, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so he couldn't, his need to see human life given the dignity it deserved extended to those who were being um, killed Mm -hmm. far off in Vietnam because of the government that that support that he uh, was a part of. So anyway, Mm wasn't a part of, but the government that, that ran his country. So anyway, it was, he was a very principled person and was willing to pay whatever the consequences were. And you know who else didn't like him during a period of his life is white Southern churches, churches. So like, I don't know, every year that this day comes around, I try to, um, read his letter from a Birmingham jail. Hmm. Um, which if you read that, you get a real clear picture that he's not Mr. Nice guy. Like this dude was serious and he was ticked. He was writing that in response to a bunch of white pastors calling for unity mm. um, instead of the tension and the resistance and all that stuff because outsiders were coming into Birmingham, outsider, AKA Martin Luther King and all his people were coming into Birmingham to change the way we're doing things. So Martin Luther King gets this in jail and he writes a letter in response to it. And part of his letter is saying how disappointed he is and his fellow preachers and pastors and churches and Christians, because it's not the, they're not talking about the same things. He's talking about social justice and he's relating that to the gospel. 
and uh, God created everybody to be equal. And these pastors and churches are talking about other things. And so it's always interesting to me that the Christian church, at least in that part of the country at that particular time, stood against the things that we right now representing a church are talking about saying we love. And it's just weird how things change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, very prominent evangelical leaders like Bob Jones, like Jerry Falwell, they were, they didn't mince words. They were adamantly against his whole mission. And even people like, I hate to say this, Billy Graham, Mm. Billy Graham was not against, I mean, he, he agreed that what MLK was doing was good, but his whole thing was just slow down. Like we don't need to do all this right now. Slow it down. You're doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. It's very interesting, especially now that the you know mainstream evangelicalism has sort of taken Martin Luther King and said, yeah, he's one of ours. Yeah, mm. I know. It's it's really frustrating. I mean, personally, it's really frustrating that that, that that's the, the truth of it. But, you know, he was a guy, above all things, looking back on this, he was a guy that was interested in truth, not interested in status quo. And so... Yeah, it is frustrating, but um, I'm glad that we get to talk about it. I'm glad that we get to talk about it at a church here in in honoring him. And I'm glad that um, he has meant so many things to people that I care about and people that I don't even know. And so it, it it's good to be able to talk about him and his impact on not just our country, but our world in a time that, you know, it's 2017, 2018. We're not great times for race relations. Mm-mm. And even, I mean... If you look back on the last like five to 10 years, it maybe I'm just like too young to remember or think about or too privileged to, to think about these things. But yeah, like you said, it makes you wonder what he would think. Yeah. What, what, were, what would he, he say today. to America in 2018? Right. To some degree, you know, the dream has been achieved. You know, they have, yeah. we, <laughs> we have the right to vote and, and all those things. But in other ways, that, that war and that battle for freedom still still just carries on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of, I mean, a, I do think a lot of progress has been made, like you said, Marin. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still had Charlottesville mm-hmm. last right. year, you know? Right. Um, we still are talking about immigration stuff and who's allowed in, who's allowed mm-hmm. out. And um, I don't want this podcast to be political at all. I don't, I don't want to talk about that, but it's that we're, we're talking about Martin Luther King and, you got to talk about love. He was a political about dude. King. And when you talk about love, it leads you to immigration. Yeah. Yeah. It's love. Yep. So I, there's part of me that thinks he would still be ticked or like moving along and, or at least, yeah, I think another one of his quotes that I don't have memorized, but he's talking about progress. And if you can't, and no matter what you're doing, just always make sure that you're moving, that mm-hmm. you're, you don't stop moving. And, uh, I don't think he would have stopped by now if he was still alive. No, and that's why I do like watching the documentaries that they put, you know, on the air this time of year because you get to see interviews with the people who walked alongside him, mm-hmm. the people who were in, you know, on the ground level of the civil rights movement with him and the things that they have to say in light of the, you know, current environment and what's going on and all this stuff. They kind of give us more of a, of a picture of what Dr. King would be saying if mm-hmm. he were still with us today. Yeah. So. Well, the, you, you mentioned status quo, and I, I mean, the status quo always wants to calcify. It wants to to get stuck. It wants to stay how it is. It's never Status quo is never going to want to change. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of the status quo. And one of his great quotes was, 
There is nothing to keep us from remolding a recalcitrant status quo with bruised hands until we have fashioned it into a brotherhood. Mm. That's all. I just mm. thought that. I was looking at that right when you said the word status quo, so I had mm. to share that. Yeah, and I was looking at my favorite quote. <laughs> we all have a favorite Dr. King quote. Um, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. So I look around and I'm, well, are we, are we there yet? Are we learning to live together as brothers? What does that even mean in light of today's society and, you know, systematic segregation mm -hmm. doesn't exist in the way that it did maybe in the, you know, civil rights movement, but it definitely still exists. Yeah. yeah. You know, are we willing to live together as brothers? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> not according to social media. Well, oh, and not according to just divisions of neighborhoods. You know, mm. you, you can still see it, especially when I, my mind goes back to Chicago. You can walk across the street and be, you know, quote unquote, on the wrong side of the tracks. And it, it's, it's the most hyper segregated city that I've, that I've seen. Yeah. Um, and Chicago that, is. Yeah. I don't see us living together as brothers in Chicago. Mm. There are efforts, there are efforts being made to change that. Um, but again, it, more, more needs to be done. Right. Always moving a, forward. And there's a big difference between living together as neighbors who tolerate each mm -hmm. other and living together as brothers. Right. I think that's the vision that, that MLK had that is so far beyond our paltry efforts that we're making. Mm. Yeah. So for everything he represented, there's one thing that's probably, I mean, absolutely true about him is that he was a guy that was in touch with his calling. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that Barry talked about this weekend. Um, bringing it back to grace is, uh, he talked about it. You he, like, you're not even here. Uh, <laughs> right, right here, guys. Uh, Barry's right there. And you talked about Abraham and the call of God on his life and what that meant for him. Um, and then you, posed a bunch of questions or a couple questions to, to us and, um, asked us about our calling. And do you want to kind of restate the big idea or some of those questions that you, uh, you asked us last weekend? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll be honest. I, I felt like I had way too much content, way too many ideas floating in that sermon. I couldn't help it because it was the call of Abraham. It's like my favorite moment in, in Genesis. I, I could talk about that for days. And I kind of did in 30 minutes. I did all of the things. So uh, <laughs> the big idea of the sermon was that the children of Abraham have a destiny to heal the world. The children of Abraham have a destiny to heal the world. But to be able to explain that, I had to get into all sorts of other like theological and historical things to set that up because we are the children of Abraham in a spiritual sense thanks to what happened with Christ, thanks to what was set up through the the law of Moses, which was given to the, it's, it's like this long complicated mm -hmm. thing. So basically the way that the sermon was structured is I did the first sort of third, uh, was about the actual historical moment of, of Abraham being called and how that kicked off God's mission of redemption for the whole world. So because of God stepping in and, and choosing Abraham to be his agent and Abraham's children to be his agents, uh, God began his process of healing the world that was broken uh, before. And so that I talked about that, talked about how that led up to the church, how it led to us. Um, and then I talked about some of the theological ramifications of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, about the um, what does it mean for God to call us and how does... Um, how does calling work a little bit and those kinds of things. And what, what are some of the ways that God doesn't play by the rules? Um, because I talked about that a lot. Yahweh does things completely upside down in so many different ways mm -hmm. compared to how most 
man-made gods and religions operate. Uh, and then the third part, I asked three questions um, uh, to, to get each of us to just sort of consider our own, what, what barriers are standing in the way for us uh, to step forward in our calling. And the three questions were, number one, uh, do you believe that God has chosen you? Uh, and I talked a lot about the mm-hmm. fact that a lot of people just don't just don't really believe it. They don't believe that God loves them. They don't believe they haven't taken that step of faith to even say, sure, I'm in. Um, so I talked to them. And then number two was, what is it that God is calling you to surrender? Mm-hmm. Because a part of just following Christ is surrender. It Trust is, is faith in action. It's not just an intellectual idea. And then the third thing I talked about, the third question I asked was, um, what part of this broken world is God calling you to heal? Um, because I talked about the fact that um, that's what Abraham's children do. We we all have a destiny to heal this world, and God will call each one of us in our own unique way uh, to use the gifts and skills that he's given us and the, the place that he's put us in our life and even our own past brokenness, which I didn't get into much. But he's going to use all of that, all of who we are, um, to heal this world through us uh, with a very specific destiny that is that is tailored for each one of us that only we can accomplish, that nobody else can do. So in that world, I mean, we talked uh, we talked about this passage last week, right? Same the same it, groups of verses. Yeah, as part of a bigger yep. overview of Abraham's story. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about context last week, and this was a world where like people believed in a bunch of gods, right? Right. And this is one god who made a deal with Abraham or Abram. I'd say made a promise, but well, yeah. made an offer. He made it. Yeah. An offer. You go to this place and you're going to be blessed. I'm going to bless you like crazy. Um, this is also a world where taking gods up on the, their deals or um, striking a deal with gods was incredibly risky. Like, right. Because if there's the God of, I don't know what all the, these people believed in, but if you, if you, accept a deal from a God, I think this is a world where you're probably going to have to do a bunch of hard stuff and it's probably going to come back and get you um, because they're the gods and they're angry at you and that kind of stuff. But this is a God, Yahweh, who says, and you made this point clear, he says, I'm going to bless you anyways. All you got to do is go and trust me. Right. Right. And so that to me, when I asked the question last week, why would Abram do this? Why would he, why would Abraham do this? You answered the question. It's because God says, I'm going to do this for you anyways. No strings attached. All these other gods you may hear of, like there's a bunch of strings attached there. No strings attached for me. I'm going to bless you anyways. Just believe me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. Right. And, and again, I, I mentioned this in the sermon. It could seem like we're splitting hairs by, by saying that there's a difference there. Cause obviously he has to go to be able to get that blessing. But I I don't, I think it's totally different. I, I mentioned in the sermon that every other religion in the world, their formula is basically, do all this stuff, and then God might bless you or might give you good things. But the but the formula that Yahweh operates under is, I will bless you, so go, trust me. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole different way of looking at faith and a whole different way of looking at what blessing is. And really, there's nothing in it for God. If you think about the way that people thought God's made deals with them, like this God saying, I'm going to do this for you. You just got to believe me. Like, Okay, what what are the strings? Like, what are the strings here, God? Like, what are you, what, where's the other shoe dropping, right? Right. And God's saying, there's, no, 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 there's no strings attached. Like, there's nothing in it for me. I'm just giving this to you. That is, that, to me, like, 
is super cool. Right. And again, what I mentioned this later on in the, in the sermon, what human has ever earned God's favor and blessing? Like no, no single person has ever been worthy of God giving us anything because we're, we're all just a mess. We've broken this place and we've, we keep doing things that are just, just so disruptive to the order that God created. And yet he's so wildly in love with us that He's chosen to to move into into relationship with us and to heal this place regardless. It's crazy. You put a map on the screen of where Abram yeah. had to go. And I would I looked at that and I was like, man, well, I'm in the middle of like my dark vortex weekend and I'm like, <laughs> man, I, I I don't even want to go get the mail right now. I'm not walking <laughs> that far for this deal, like Abram went a long way. He went really far. So when you, when you think that, are you convicted by those thoughts? Like, man, no. I don't even want to get the mail, <laughs> no. but look what Abraham did. Oh, that, uh, when I think about it, yeah. but in the moment, no. So I, I am, I, I of course you are, Mary. I could not wait to come here because my husband can attest like that sermon, Barry Rodriguez, that messed me up. Oh, in, like, a good, in a good in a way. Or? Very good way. Okay, but well, like, give us the dirt. Well, like it, it, it just it sparked some really good conversation. Namely, that the Kamaos were highlighted and prayed for and launched on the day that we're talking about calling, <laughs> right? And Abraham and being willing to go and move your family. And we've got a living picture of this part of our church body moving from continent to continent to continent. Right. To be our, our Sydney church plant. Yeah. Our, our second Gateway so, City church plant. So what about from, chapel? from Kenya, right? Yeah. To here mm-hmm. and now being launched to Australia. So we, we streamed it with my family yesterday, yesterday morning. And it was kind of like, oh, that's nice. Remember, Jed, that time that we answered the call of God to, you know, come to Indianapolis? Man, we were such good Christians. You said this to We Jed. sure did answer his call. No, this is kind of inward talk. I should okay. use my inside voice. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. when we... <laughs> that's what I sound like in my head. Just waves. <laughs> so I'm kind of feeling pretty good. Like, man, I did answer the call. Go me. And then we drove straight from there to the Kamau's send-off. Um, there was like a little house party last night to pray for them oh, one more time. For the and yeah. Seriously. You probably got the invite. I'm sure you got I the invite. I did not get an invite. There's a Facebook invite. Actually, no. Maybe I did. I there was, was just... a staff email invite that went <laughs> to every single staff person. Well, Tyler, are Bender. you reading your all staff emails? No. Okay. <laughs> the good news is I was winning. I was winning the game I was playing. And it just would have taken me out of that, that oh, zone. I was that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. So the kids came with us, which was cool. And my kids, they were just, just the three of them, Ken's son, my daughter, my son, all three talking. And I could hear my daughter saying, wow, that must have been so hard to leave all your friends behind and leave all of your toys behind, all of your things behind. And it was beautiful to hear the way that the kids were breaking this down. Both, yeah. all three kids had just gone through a, yeah, a major they had transition. To do themselves. Right. And my daughter's saying, man, my friends are only three hours away, mm. not a whole continent away. Perspective. Oh my goodness. Yes. We've been dealing with this since we came here. And just when I think, you know, she's doing better or whatever, it'll, it'll just flare up again. Oh, mm-hmm. I left everything I know. And there I it miss is. All my friends. There's that internal voice we love. There yeah. it is. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was great. As much as I, as a parent, can try to, you know, 
speak into my daughter's life. And, you know, when God moves us, he moves us as a family and God brought us here. Mm-hmm. I really feel like it took, it took another child yeah, to speak into I... my child's life about mm. how he, how he is going through this transition again and yet again. So, so that, that brought up some excellent conversation within our family. Wow. But then just, do I, do I rest on my laurels of remember that time you called me and I went, well, what if he called me again? Would I go again? Right. I, and, and, and when he called me, I was fortunate enough to bring all my stuff. It was mm-hmm. just a couple of hours that I moved. So I brought everything that I value in this world. And so that's, that's what messed me up was just like, man, if he really called me to leave it all behind, could I do that? Would mm-hmm. I do that? And even Ken had said at one point in conversation that if, if God had asked him to make this move, you know, five years ago, six years ago, he doesn't think that he would have been able to do mm-hmm. it. They were too tied to their stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like, like we all are, we just have so much stuff, but he described this process of God kind of, uh, paring down and then paring down again. He said they walked away from a fully furnished house at one point, just literally leaving all of their stuff behind and wow. that God was calling. I didn't to know the, people do that. Oh my goodness. He, God was people preparing leave their whole house is furnished to just have the ability to up and move yeah. whenever he wanted them to up and move. And in light of this Abraham calling sermon and what I just heard you speak about in the morning and then saw like in living color in mm-hmm. the evening talking to Ken and his wife. And it was just like, man, Jed, oh, <laughs> do you think we, it, man, not, not that I think he's calling me, you know, to up and go somewhere, but so if you kind of like he did. Is my heart right? willing? You kind of like check the box. You're like, oh, I've already done that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I thought I did, and yeah. then I talked to Ken. <laughs> oh no! Is he trying to get you out of Australia? Ken, um, Ken, get you here, Ken. That. Get out of She's here. She's not leaving. We're good. I would love to go visit, but we have this ongoing sort of joke, sort of not joke. Spiders are not, they're not my thing. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of There's like nine out of the 10 deadliest spiders in, like, known to man. They're all yeah. in Australia. So I'm like, you take care of that spider problem. I'll come see you. <laughs> I know they're working on it. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's where the crocodile hunter passed away. Is it? Right? Is, I thought it was like in the It was in the ocean. ocean but was in it Australia. In the Australia. Okay. He didn't die on land from a spider, and, and that's what I'm afraid of. I would rather... Oh, that's so dark. I shouldn't say that. I almost say I'd rather go by stingray than by spider, just because I'm not that afraid of stingrays. You should be. Terrified Have you ever spiders. touched one? Yeah, man. You nah, go to, like, Florida. Those things are creepy, They're in the man. little tank. <laughs> those things are in. creepy. <laughs> we, t- we had to hold one. Well, we didn't have to, but we, pi- we paid money. We paid good money to hold one on our honeymoon, and... Not worth it. <laughs> kind of creepy because they just flap in your face and it's not a good time. They're and how did strange, that stingray feel about strange that? Strange little creature. Did they get paid? Were they paid I in like fish? It. Well, I know that they got their stinger ripped out. <gasps> like That's they awful. T- well, I mean, just they're not so going to have could... a bunch of white people pay money <laughs> oh to hold goodness. these stinger stingrays. They're oh, going to take the stingers out. Okay. Well, now I have to pause us because this, this happened this weekend. My sister drove to the family Christmas in January, yeah. right? And she listened to the podcast all the way to wherever she was going. I, I think it was a two-hour drive for her. Pal so it was of perfect. the pod. Total pal of the pod, my sister. But she's got a two-year-old in the back seat 
who they would assume is sleeping or, you know, otherwise did not paying attention. Did we say something attention. inappropriate? You, we didn't. We did not okay, say. Good. We're so good on this pod yeah, about keeping all of our inappropriate thoughts to ourselves. But the things that my toddler niece picked up on, he said, painting elephants. <laughs> <laughs> and then, that sounds like Elmo. Seriously, I do a really <laughs> good Elmo. Like Elmo. It was the painting, el- painting elephants. It was smash cut. Smash picked cut. up on that. Uh-huh. And then I can't remember the third one, but now like she's going to be talking oh, about stingrays. Cool. She's going to pick up on this. Yeah. It's always the randomest hey. thing. Why? Was she mad about the elephants? No, no, no. no she, the, it's just interesting the things oh, okay. that a two-year-old like yep. finds humorous and like perks up in the backseat yeah. about painting elephants. Well, sting- smash cut to smash me. Cut. Smash cut to me the day after recording that, <laughs> looking up yep. painting elephants yeah. and realizing that help. it is just about as ethical as ripping out a stingray stinger and have paying guests yep. touch them. It's uh, don't look it up, guys. It's don't look it up. It's rough. It's depressing. Anyways, I would much rather get bitten by a spider. No. Ugh. No. Than stung. <laughs> you don't want to get stung in the water. Well, I won't go in the water. So there's that. Oh, you there's don't go very, in the water. Like, well, I do, but like, I like chlorinated pools of <laughs> crystal blue. <laughs> have I have I ever shared with you guys my deepest darkest fears? About the water. With, would you please? With just us two. It's just, just the, us. It's just us. Oh we're, my gosh. we're a safe place. I, if something touches me in the water, you're out. That I can't see, boom, I will not go back in that body of water. <laughs> like if I'm there for two weeks, one week, whatever, and we're at the ocean, yeah. I'm not going back in the ocean. If I'm, something I'm touches with you. Me. I am right there with you. And here's why. Because when I was like 10 years old, we were in Florida, family vacation, my Cousins are down. We're on the boat in the middle of the ocean. My cousins are down scuba diving, looking at the coral reef and all this stuff. And I'm up above. I'm like snorkeling. Okay. So I can't go down because I'm too young. Well, my other cousin is in the boat fishing and he's not catching anything. So what he does is he takes the tube of Pringles, throws it in the ocean where (gasps) I am snorkeling. We're at a coral reef and all these fish, (laughs) thousands of fish. Swarm me and are like pushing me below the water. There's so many fish because they're jumping for the chips. And they're like all in my face. They're all in my face. And so now if if anything touches me in the water, I'm out. So Stingray, no. You still can't even can't even smell Pringles without being No, yeah. Pringles. (laughs) Terrible. So I'm I'm not getting stung by a stingray. That's like Give the kind of thing spiders. that would come out in counseling, you would think. Like, yeah. And then my cousin tried to kill me yeah. with fish and well, Pringles. Was, I mean, he had a good heart. He's not like trying to hurt me. He was just trying to catch some fish. <laughs> the the living hell of Tyler working at a church where they have to, where they sing oceans all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they call me out upon the water. Nope. Nope. I'm not going <laughs> no. in that water today. <laughs> I'm not going in that water. <laughs> uh, yeah, called oh, out, God, man. Jesus. <laughs> called out. So, okay. And if it's confession time, yes, this this is where I went years and years and years ago. My dad sat me down and we had a wonderful conversation where he was just like, Marin, what do you, what do you want? Like, do you realize that you can ask God for like anything beyond, you know, anything you can ask or think like, just what do you want? It, it's okay to have desires and wants. And what do you want? Mm-hmm. So he gave me a blank a notebook and a Ooh, pen. I thought you were going to say blank check. <laughs> yeah, he's not that kind of dad. Um, he gave me a blank notebook and, and a pen and just told me to write down anything, no matter how audacious or how simple or basic, what do you want? I, I was already married. I already had, uh, I believe I had both my kids at this point. 
Um, we were living in a small studio apartment um, in Chicago. So I just started to write some things out. And one of my strange little wants was <laughs> a kitchen full of fiesta ware. It's a type of plate that is colorful and beautiful and just makes me so happy. You and wanted so, God to give this to you? No, it's just a desire in my life. I'm oh, not okay. like, God, please deliver to my door if he has to wear and do it for free and do it tomorrow. Uh-huh. Not like that. Just, hey, eventually this is the kind of life I want to have. A house. You all know how that worked out. And a kitchen full of fiesta ware. <laughs> so I have that. Like, over time, like, I can look around and be like, wow, remember when I asked you for that random thing and... Here I am, and you've totally blessed me with it. Oh, that's cool. So as I'm talking with Jed last night, I'm like, I got to bring everything with me when we move. When God called us here, I got to bring all my stuff. All my plates came with me. The Fiesta Ware's here? The plates, they're all here. (laughs) The Fiesta Ware has made it to Indianapolis. If he put a call on my life like he did for Ken, and I had to leave all my stuff, like... Stuff. It's just stuff. And on an intellectual level, I get it. But there's an emotional attachment to sentimental things, even as simple as plates. Well, and hang on. <laughs> you asked God for. for the plates. Yes. And he God gave them gave to me. God gave the plates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that's like, okay, God, you gave me these plates. Why Now, why are you taking these plates away? Now you're talking about Abraham and Isaac. Ooh, That's why the story analogy. gets so Did deep. Did you just trap me into that? No, this is this is where I went. <laughs> okay. It's like, because you, the you thing, have that prayer. If that story is relevant uh, here, then if you, well, right when you're about to smash all your fiesta wear, <laughs> right. there'll be some sort of like ram in the thicket. <laughs> I still wear <laughs> Right. So it was that. At first it was, God, why did you give us a house only to move us six months later? Why did you give this to us if if it wasn't for us? You know, why would you give me? And he's not asking me to move Uh out of the country, but these this is where my mind goes. You know, looking at a family that's literally giving up everything you talked about, you know, what is God asking you to sacrifice? And they're just they've they've done it. You know, yeah, they've surrendered all, all. They are all in. What would that look like for me? So if you ever drive by Marin's house and you see her standing outside. <laughs> Smashing plates. With a hammer <laughs> above a stack of fiesta wear, you know what's up. You know Weeping what's happening. As she Don't ask questions. So in my experience, and I admittedly limited experience, uh, responding to the calls that God puts on my life, I've found, and I'm curious to see if this is true for you guys, I've found that the vast majority of them are not huge. They're, they, they are, God's calling me to uh, move in a certain direction or take a small step. It's always a little bit terrifying, uh, but only once or twice has he given me those mm-hmm. uproot and mm-hmm. go off into the unknown. Only like twice has, have I really felt God call me to do that. Most mm-hmm. of the time, the calls that God puts on my life are, are a little bit less consequential and they only scare me a little bit. Do you guys feel like that's been your experience with God or has it been all big stuff, all little stuff? It's a great question. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, do you believe that your calling can change throughout yes. your life? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do too. And I know that we've talked about calling for a long time at Grace and a lot of people, myself included, for a long time, I used to think my calling is my job, Right. Like, sure. That's the easiest, laziest maybe way for me to be like, okay, God has me here for a reason, you know, but as I dig deeper, I'm like, okay, it's not my job. It's not my career. It doesn't have to be. It could, I guess, but it, it, for me, that's not what it is. Yeah. Through way of discipleship, 
through through my career and the work I've done, I've come to believe that my calling is to create understanding for people, um, whether that's the companies I work at, the churches I'm a part of, is to create understanding. So my job tangibly is literally in communications for people to understand the message that we are trying to communicate at Grace Church. But the church, like Big C Church, I feel like my calling right now in 2018 is to be someone who creates understanding for what what our congregations are saying, what people in the world are saying and are wanting. And I want to be somebody, I, I feel like I'm called to this place to be the person that disrupts the status quo mm-hmm. of, of what Grace Church and what other churches and what suburban life that I grew up in says we should be behaving. And I want to be somebody that helps create understanding for, for the people who work here, for the people who go here, for the people that I interact with. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's a clearer way that God is calling all of us to. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that totally answers your question, but throughout my life, I was like, my calling is music. And then later, my calling is to go to Ukraine and serve people with special needs. And now, I mean, I was I was in advertising. Mm-hmm. I came to work here, and I feel like my calling is to be somebody that creates understanding within the church world. I think um, two things. One, I, I, that's awesome. I think one of the things that we often forget, and I want to make sure I make this point for everyone to hear it, is calling is not always necessarily a job or an action. It sometimes can be a, a way of being. Uh, so for example, there's uh, a volunteer who works at the care center a lot. Um, Mama Quigley, who, uh, is Linda Quigley, who is uh, at some point she described her calling for that season of her life to me in this way. She said, I am called to have space and margin in my life so that when God puts needs or circumstances in my way, I have the space to do it. And so she would say that God was calling her yeah. to keep her schedule open and to keep her life uncluttered for the sake of those that God put in her path. And that's that's very different than saying I'm called to mm-hmm. be a missionary in, in yeah. wherever. I, I don't know. That's just an interesting no, way of looking cool. at it. And the other thing I want to say is, and I think dad and I probably disagree on this a little bit, some of the nuances, because it's all just language, but... I tend to see a difference between calling and destiny. Mm -hmm. So here's how I look at it. Me personally, this is not the Bible. This is me. Uh, I would say that through our lives, we are given many calls by God. God calls us out in big ways, in small ways that shape who we are and what we do. And, and all of these callings go, they don't stop. They continue through our life. Take this step, move here, be this way, whatever. But over time, as we look back at our life, especially after we're dead and we look back at the whole thing, God will be able to show us the tapestry of how he used us mm-hmm. for his grand purpose. And that will be our destiny. Mm-hmm. Our destiny, in my opinion, is all of the calls that put we've together. said yes to put together into a into a, an, this beautiful painting that we couldn't even begin to imagine at this point. And you think your dad disagrees? No, I just, he sometimes refers to once you are in... Like he would say that he now at this age in his life is beginning to see his right, right. how his destiny. And wouldn't I wouldn't you call that a legacy when you're looking back? Yeah, I, yeah. Seeing I think, how all the different callings wove into this beautiful tapestry. Right. That's the legacy. Yeah, and that I, maybe there's left. a maybe that's a good maybe we should say there's a calling. When you get older, you can look back and begin to see your legacy. After you're dead, you see your destiny. And I would include how. Uh, and we're, I'm not going to get into 
time distortion or anything like I was talking about last time. Uh, but but <laughs> I would include there. not yeah, only not only uh, if you look at your life as a series of of points of light where God used you to touch other people, um, in God's mind. Those are all being orchestrated with all the other ways that he's working with all the other people in the world. And they are being linked into something bigger and grander than just our own life. They're, they're, he uses us alongside the way that he's using this person and this person's prayer and this thing mm-hmm. to weave a purpose into this world that, that I don't think we can even comprehend. So I'm saying destiny is, goes even beyond legacy. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than... It's, it's the combination of... It's how our legacy plays in with all the destinies that God has used for those yeah. in our life. That's mm. a pretty big Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. God's got. Yeah. There's a whole there's a whole bank of just nerdy <laughs> yeah. angels that have to keep Gosh. track of all that stuff. I love it. It you it kind of is a picture of like when you're flying in an airplane and you're looking at geometric, you know, fields and that that's kind of what what I'm picturing mm. at the end of my life when I can do a flyby, mm-hmm. do a overview of everything and and that mm-hmm. patchwork of wow, this that this that Whereas the 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 one little nudge that you got from the Holy Spirit would be like if you zoomed all the way in and you looked at a single grain mm. in the Fiesta wear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Now the Fiesta wear is very interesting. Can I can I get even weirder? Do it. All right. Here I go. Diving straight in. Um, so again, many years ago, um, someone was praying over my husband and myself, and uh, they started to prophesy as they prayed. Which always makes me go like, mm, I'm raising an eyebrow. Why? You don't mm. like it? Well, I'm just... Mary, can you define what you mean by that? By prophecy? This particular... Okay. So prophecy is like, what, a word of encouragement? But in, in this case, she was having like a vision. Mm-hmm. And she said, I see colorful plates. Which she shouldn't have known. Couldn't have known. But then she put it together with, you know, I see colorful plates around this table and you have people around your table assembled from different walks of life, from Mm. different denominations, different races coming together to eat at your table around these colorful plates. And I'm like, yes, Lord. Fiesta wear already written in your book. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Totally. Yeah. That's almost like I've had that happen. I've had people from different walks of life Mm. gather around my dinner table. Mm. And it's like, I, I think that that's part of my calling. Yeah. And you know, I kind of be able to make that happen. That's almost like to put people I mean, around your table. Yep. See yeah. the plates. No, that's great. God's like, God's like, I'll see you your <laughs> desire for plates and I'll raise yes. you yes. kingdom <laughs> impact for generations, you know, cause he wants totally. to use you for, yeah, totally. Yeah. Barry, what about you? What about calling? Me? Oh man. Uh, there was a time several years ago, back before I started my nonprofit world next door, which I won't get into, but I spent seven years traveling around the world and living in slums and stuff. And it was nuts and awesome and amazing and crazy and yeah, terrifying. Um, but there was a time in the midst of that when I knew for sure that my calling was to help suburban Americans, suburban American Christians, um, get engaged with social justice, with justice issues, hunger and poverty and HIV AIDS. And like, to, as far as I was concerned, that seemed like a perfectly reasonable calling for the rest of my life. I was like, okay, I know where I, I know what I'm supposed to do. And there was a lot of tears uh, getting me to that point. I wept and wept when I realized what God was saying because I was terrified of all the consequences of the giving up of the stuff mm-hmm. of the, I knew I couldn't live the way I, I would want to live because I, I wouldn't be able to bear it knowing the injustice. And I, uh, so I, w- 
And I was right to be afraid because it was really, it's, it's been a very heavy reality to live with the knowledge, the firsthand knowledge of the people who are suffering from all of the things. Like I know people who are starving. I know people mm. who are, who are, who have been trafficked, you know, in, in Cambodia. I know, I know people in all these different things. So it's, it's been heavy and dark anyway. So for a time I thought, okay, justice, that was, that was me. Um, but then as world next door went on and as I began engaging with the local church in different ways, and ultimately as I ended up on the preaching team here at grace, I began to realize that, um, that initial call into justice had actually branched into more of a focus on helping suburban Americans just to understand the kingdom of God mm. and uh, which includes justice, but it also like, we always talk about the six broken places here mm -hmm. at grace and the kingdom of God is in the business of healing all six of those places. Mm -hmm. And so um, suddenly I found that that was, that was, uh, so I was, I was meant to help to teach and, and tell stories and lead mm -hmm. suburban Americans into understanding the whole of God's mission for this world, uh, which then the next step, which is the one I'm currently sort of discerning and figuring out, mm -hmm. uh, is, well, it, that's, that's what led me to say yes. When I was asked to consider, uh, interviewing for mm -hmm. the job that I'm in right now, which is to be the candidate, to be the successor to the senior pastor, AKA my dad. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, that was what led me there. But now I'm at a point of realizing that God is not only calling me to help other people get into that, but he's actually calling me to be something of a generalist in the way that I live out those six broken places in my life where I need to live a life where I'm not just focused on one thing, uh, but I actually in some ways have my feet in every, or have my dip my toes in every single one of those pools uh, of, of living a life that represents a commitment to justice and a commitment to ending decay and a, and a commitment to uh, ending isolation. And, and so I look at my life and I look at where God's led me and I say, okay, God, I, I think I get it. I think you want me to, to have friends with special needs and to, mm -hmm. and to, to do what I can to fight against racism and to um, do my part uh, to care for the environment. Like I, I'm seeing all of those things weaving together. So that's super broad and it's, it's very un, unfiltered at this point. I haven't worked through it all yet, but mm -hmm. um, the calling is going to work out to a vocation of working here at Grace and using my teaching and pastoring and things like that. But but the calling itself is more about a life that God, a lifestyle almost that God is calling me into. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was, I mean, I I think I feel this, a similar way about what I said, the create understanding part. And um, throughout my life, like the different, if we're trying to categorize into the different um, six broken places, like I've dipped my toe in almost all of them at mm -hmm. different points in my life. And I don't know if there's ever been a time where it's been all of them at the same time, but combined with what I'm doing as a profession right now, like I feel like my job and my calling is to create the most clarity and understanding for people to engage with God and care about the things that he cares about. So you've talked about making a move from feeling like music was your calling, yeah. Tyler, and then, you know, working at different companies or, um, there was a video that set up the sermon that talked about 
And I love the way this video was was done because it, it didn't talk about any of the specifics. Did you love it because Jed was in it? Well, I'm a little biased. <laughs> That's why I loved it. I'm a little biased. Jed's Jed in like every video people. these days. Yeah, he's in. He's up there what, a lot. What's up with that? He's good Jed. looking. Everyone well, give people what they want. He's wearing that bright red shirt, man. He looked good. <laughs> no, to be fair, Jed did that because I called him that afternoon saying, hey. They really need someone. Could you come? <laughs> okay. and he was nice. awesome. Totally up for the task. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was a video of six six people talking about how it felt to be called. Yes. I just and that's, steal that's the, what yeah. I loved about it was that it, it didn't go specifically into the thing they were called to. It was just about how do you know? What are mm-hmm. the feelings? Mm. You know, um, Jed said uh, at first he was afraid and he felt inadequate. Um, but then after God's promises came to his mind, he felt humbled. He felt honored. And then my favorite quote, he said he was eager to make his father proud. Mm. Like that's Yeah, that yeah. was cool. That's yeah. what happened in him. What happened in you guys as God changed your calling? I know for me, like, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to guess. Fear. Lots of fear. Right. But for you guys, was it that? Oh, man. So right now in 2018, I am a part of, and on behalf of Grace, lead a task force. Let's, I mean, it's a small group of people that care about doing something to contribute to healing racism and hatred Mm. at Grace Church, not at Grace Church, but people at Grace Church who care about this in the world, the broken place, the broken place of hatred. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this has been a thing for almost two years and it's, it's been on my, in my life, probably for about four or five years where I've really like just dug into this world of racism and, absorbing all the information and history about it that I can. And so we meet, we meet, we meet once a month and we talk about things and uh, events happening in the, in the city and what Grace Church is going to do about it and that kind of stuff. And I got to be honest, every single month for almost two years, when that day comes of the month, I'm like, God, why am I doing this? You don't want me to do this. I'm the wrong guy. Pick someone this. else. Yeah. Cause I am not, I mean, <laughs> white Tyler Bender grew up in Carmel does not need to be the guy who is trying to gather people to talk about racism in grace church. That, mm. that does that you pick the wrong guy, but it's also the thing that fills me up more than almost anything else in my life is going to those meetings, talking to those people, coming up with ideas. Um, and, participating in the in the larger conversation of our in our city and our world about these things nothing fills me up more and so right now in 2018 i think that that might be part of my calling mm-hmm. um and it scares the daylights out of me and i there's a moment every month where i'm like oh, i don't want to do this would they be mad if i didn't come like what so i'm scared yeah mm-hmm. it's it's super scary and it terrifies me but i think that might be part of the deal mm-hmm. you know? yeah yeah that might be part of how you know yeah so, so my first big call it was one of the doozies it was a big one and it was to uh well over the course of six months this all became clear was to drop out of school after af- college after my junior year uh and then to apply for and to go to nairobi kenya for an entire year um, and this is back when I was like early twenties and I was a video game addict and Man, I was, I, I was bet you they have some spiders. Couch potato. They've got, they've Ooh. got all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, do they have stingrays? Somewhat. Yeah. On, off the coast they do. Baron, you I, would be doomed. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but I, it was everything that I was terrified of, of 
it was it was other cultures it was being far from home it was slow internet connection it was no xbox it was all the things that were scaring me and yet i went and over the course of that year god broke me and reformed me and began lighting a fire in me that i think led to even the ministry i'm doing today um and after that, then it was like, hey, now you're going to go and live in even crazier places for the next seven years, and you're going to tell stories that are going to break your heart, and it's going to destroy you. So go ahead. It'll what be you, great. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> and so I did that, and um, it's interesting because when I when they first asked, would you be, would you consider interviewing for this to be to be considered as a successor to the senior pastor of a mm-hmm. mega church? Uh, my initial reaction was absolutely not. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much, but I've seen what it did to my dad, and I've mm-hmm. seen how much it cost him. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Thank you. But I had to at least pray about it and think about it because that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. you think about and pray about. So I went on a little retreat, and I, I thought about it a lot, and I journaled, and I wrestled, and I prayed. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was still single, and I looked at my life, and I looked back, and I thought, okay, after all the things that I've been able to do and all the ways that God was so faithful to carry me through— if I died today, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that was a pretty decent life. I served God, and I finally, by the end at least, figured out what it meant to say yes and, and to move forward and to surrender. Um, not, a, not a deeply substantial life, but it was good enough, and I, I'd be like, okay, great. Uh, I, I turned the corner from who I used to be and became at least a little bit like who I think God was calling me to be. So, so if I'm not going to die tomorrow, if I am going to die you know, many years from now, and I've got a lot more years to give, then why would I spend my life doing anything else but exactly what God would want me to do? And so in some ways, the fear was taken away. And instead, it was just a matter of discernment. Is God calling me to, Mm -hmm. to do this? And so what I got, what I really sensed after a lot of prayer was just God essentially saying, step through this door. I'm not saying become the senior pastor of the church. I'm just saying, step through this door, do the interview start the candidacy and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And that led to, you know, now I feel very confident that God is saying, okay, you've stepped through the door. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm here, but uh, yeah, it, it, for me, there's a, I still get terrified. I still get afraid. I don't feel qualified in any way yeah. for any of this, Yeah. but I'm also now looking back at a pretty significant track record of God's faithfulness. Hmm. Not, not only in my own life, but in all the lives of the people I've met around the world who've done unbelievable things. I mean, people who have uprooted everything, yeah. given up everything they have, uh, risked their life and limb and and all of it for the sake of God's mission. And I, I've seen how God comes through for them again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it, God. That's how you work. You're faithful. Your promises are true. So I'll keep going at it until mm-hmm. you tell me to stop. Yeah. I, I feel so humbled and honored, as you talked about earlier, the patchwork of different destinies, mm-hmm. different legacies. Um, I think about the people around the world, like like you've mentioned, the people around the world that have that that have come alongside you at different points in your life and just blown you away with yeah. um, their testimony, their heart for the Lord. Um, cool story. I was um, living in Chicago and. I walked in Chicago. We walked everywhere. We didn't have cars. So, um, my husband and I did not have, neither one of us had a car. We took public transit everywhere. So I'd walk to the corner store, get my little groceries and walk back home. And on a regular night, I walked to the corner store, but there, there had been some violence in the neighborhood, um, which there was always violence off and on in this particular neighborhood. 
Um, and this time after the violence, there was somewhat of a, a response, I guess. There was a, a pastor I did not recognize who had one of those like suitcase speaker PA system deals. And, nice. Yeah. Gonna, he's going to be heard. He was on the corner with his little speakers and he had painted these probably like the size of your front door, like these large slabs of plywood that were white, but like painted in red letters, like stop the killing. So he was, he was demonstrating, mm. you know, for peace in the street. Like, okay. All right. And I, I was intrigued. There was a, some scaffolding um, building was being worked on. So I kind of leaned on the scaffolding for a long time, just kind of listening to what he was saying, because this was the neighborhood where I lived and I didn't recognize him. Mm. So it seemed to me like an outsider coming into my neighborhood, like, you know, demonstrating, which is fantastic, you know, but it, it just was a really interesting night. It got dark. I just couldn't stop listening. And so then I went up to the guy and I asked, who are you? Where are you from? What brings you here? And as I was talking to him, two other people I'd never seen before in my life walked past. And he stopped talking to me with the microphone and he turned to this brother who was, turns out, from Calcutta. And he said, brother, you have a testimony and a word to share. He didn't know if this dude was a believer at all. And uh-huh. I watched this go down. And this man, without skipping a beat, picked up the microphone and started spreading the gospel on the corner oh my goodness. in Chicago in my neighborhood. Mm. And it was a moment of, God, did you send this man from Calcutta here? Mm-hmm. to be a missionary here. <laughs> I thought we sent people to them. Yeah. Right. Did you send right. this man here? It turns out it had been the first time he'd ever traveled anywhere outside of India, anywhere. And he came straight to O'Hare, <laughs> mm-hmm. got off at the red line and he was staying with uh, my church fellowship. They were putting him up for the weekend. I didn't know that. Hmm. Neither did the guy on the corner, wow. but what a moment for me to see like, Wow, Lord, you're <laughs> you called that guy yeah. to come to my neighborhood, mm. you know, when it's mm. usually just the other way around. Yeah, yeah. That if that were me, and somebody said you got a word to share, I'd be like, "No, you look a little crazy. I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> oh, Keep it walking." Was, it was amazing. Best part of the whole story. They had just flown into O'Hare, right? So these two guys, one was from Calcutta, and one was his ministry partner, but was from Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. They had a box of Giordano's pizza in their hands. <laughs> well, they that's were it. Like you got you a word tell. to share, and they you got some pizza. Landed, can I get they a piece? did the tourist thing, and on their way to, you know, their overnight hotel, basically, on their way there, wow. they were stopped on the street. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Again, to me, that's a picture of people's callings crossing, or I don't know if you would say destiny. Now, I, I'm a little confused, Barry. I don't even know what word to use right now. <laughs> it's but calling. Call it calling. The way that our paths <laughs> crossed, and, mm. and why, and you have numerous stories just like that one mm-hmm. of the Lord just bringing you alongside of the people, the ways that your paths cross for, for a time. And, and is it just for that time or is it for longer than that time? Right. And what's that going to look like when I do my flyby at the right. end of this life, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and get to see how that all played out. Is there anything you left out of the sermon last weekend, Barry, that you wanted to uh, let us all know? I think the whole calling destiny thing was what I wanted to clarify, but clearly I've made it worse by <laughs> confusing Marin. No. So, <laughs> uh, it's easy to confuse Marin. So it's it's not you, it's me. Okay, all right, that <laughs> makes me feel better. Now, it, this is a this is not a one week and one podcast conversation. This is the very basis of mm. our relationship with God and how it works. I mean, this is a this is not the kind of thing we're going to cover in an hour. So this is hopefully something we'll come back to many times in the years ahead. 
Well, aren't we talking about Abraham for like the next 18 weeks or something? <laughs> <laughs> Good news. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for the conversation. Thanks for the message. Um, it is convicting. It is inspiring um, to think about what we are here for. And to know, and you said every every single person here has a unique calling yeah. that only they can do. And that, I mean, that is a special message to hear when you go to church on a Saturday or Sunday and you hear that God has something very special and unique that only you can do. That That's an obligation then. All of a sudden you have a responsibility. And if you don't live into that calling, you, you're failing that responsibility i guess and not you know? just the responsibility you're missing out on the best possible life for yourself yeah both. living into god's calling is is where you find the greatest fulfillment and purpose and mm-hmm. and life that's where it is yeah oh. so abraham had like he had the responsibility to go mm-hmm. because god is saying i'm gonna bless you and you're giving up a lot but you have the responsibility to respond to god but also the best life ever came Abraham's way shortly thereafter, or not shortly, but thereafter. And so, yeah, I think you're right. You, we have a responsibility to, to pursue our calling, but also like God's got something for each one of us. That's really cool. Yeah. To me, that brings us back to your first question, which we just mentioned, but really didn't dive into. Um, and I know we're running out of time, but I think I'd be remiss if I did not say again, he called us when we were still sinners. Yeah. A lot of times we don't pursue our calling because we think we're disqualified. I've been there. I know what that, what that feels like. Um, and that, that can be a hard, it, it could be a hard hole to climb out of when you're down so low that you think, Oh man, I blew it. You know, I had a calling. Maybe he could have mm. used me at one point, but right. not anymore. You know, I blew it. N- not the case. It's false. Yeah. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Um, yeah. You said that none of us deserve it. Right. None of us deserve to be called. Not right. even like the best one among us deserves it. But, and this is a line that resonated with, with some people and I'll just, I'll, this will be my mic drop for the, I won't actually drop the mics, Tyler. I don't want to, this is a, these are expensive equipment. So I will say this though. save money, man. That's right. Uh, and I said this in my sermon. If you were listening to this, God loves you, mm. period. Mm-hmm. And also, okay. <laughs> Period. And. And. Well, comma. We, we got a comment on Twitter. Yeah. And I think, I think about my dad, okay, who's, who's talked about calling. Uh, he's 60, almost 65 years old. And he's like, you know, I've, I've already had my chance to live in my I've calling. Live my life. It's, yeah. Yeah. And the comment on Twitter was. From Curtis Honeycutt. From Curtis Honeycutt. Was uh, Abraham was 75 when he got this calling. Yeah. Called out 75 years old. So you're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too anything mm. to receive God's calling and blessing for your life. Um, so I just, I, I wanted to make sure we, we said that too, because people, I mean, my dad's going to listen to this and some people might think, well, yeah, that calling thing, like I had my chance, doesn't really apply to me anymore. So whatever. But Abraham was old and didn't have any kids and then had nations of kids, you know? So your dad, the pal of the pod. Yeah, that's, we'll get into that probably next week, but my dad (laughs) has been daily. My dad has been sending me friends of the pod replacement suggestions, uh, because he heard last week that we have, we've got, uh, or we're considering, uh, changing the friends of the pod greeting. And so, 
He is sending me all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Dad jokes left and right, man. So thank you, Phil Bender. <laughs> Barry, thanks again for, for giving us that message and thanks for being here and talking us through it. Next week, we're going back to the well that is Abraham and we are going to look for the full face of God and his covenant as Abraham's called out. Dave will be here to join us next week. But until then, thanks for being with us today. Marin, will you please send us out? It would be my honor. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And we'll see you on the other side of Sunday.